And let's pray. Father, fan into flame your gift in us of your Holy Spirit that we might receive from you your word to us, believe it and live it out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about receiving the Spirit and power. Whose spirit would you like to inherit? Perhaps there is someone you know or knew whose spirit you admire and you wish that you could share a portion of their wisdom, their energy, their vision, their gentleness, their boldness or humour or faith. You admire them and you wish to share their spirit. Well, Elijah's spirit was the spirit of a prophet. The spirit given to him by God so he could do a difficult work. The work of speaking God's word into his world. This word could be a word of rebuke, even of cursing. In the previous chapter, 2 Kings 1, Elijah had told Ahaziah, the king of Israel, You shall not leave the bed to which you have gone, but you shall surely die. But this word could also be a word of life and blessing. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah tells a starving woman that her jar of meal will not be emptied and her jug of oil will not fail until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And indeed it was so. The spirit that empowered Elijah for all this, for this knowledge, this work, this this cursing and blessing was the Spirit of God, the same Spirit who rested on Jesus and the same Spirit he has poured out on us. The work of prophecy, of speaking the Word of God into God's world goes on and like Elisha, we disciples of Jesus have a share in this. Today I've got three questions Firstly, who are these people we read about? You may be thinking, I've never come across anything like this before. Who's this Elijah? Who is Elisha? What's going on? Let's think about that. Secondly, let's think, what's the story all about? What does it mean? And thirdly, what could it possibly mean to us? So that's where we're going. Let's start with who are these people and where are we in the Bible? Now, there are four Old Testament books that tell the story of Israel in its life as a kingdom, as a nation ruled by kings. These books are 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. Uh, The Old Testament goes like this. The first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, are concerned with Israel before they became a kingdom. In fact, you know, before they became a nation almost. It was their story of being taken out of Egypt, going through the desert, coming to the promised land. Joshua, Judges, Ruth take place kind of in the land, but before kings. And then 1 and 2 Samuel speak about the rise of the house of David. And 1 and 2 kings speak about what happened after that through many generations of history. 
In the last third of 1 Kings, the prophet Elijah is a central figure. And in the first third of 2 Kings, his successor Elisha takes up his mantle, quite literally as we read in this passage, takes up his cloak. Now, Elijah and Elisha tackle the Omride dynasty of the northern kingdom of Israel. In their time, uh, Ahab, son of Omri, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, and Jehoram, Ahaziah's brother, also the son of Ahab, were the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. And these kings and the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, don't generally get on. For the kings are not careful to keep God's commands. They permit idolatry, even the worship of Baal, one of the local Canaanite gods. And so, being God's prophet meant speaking unwelcome truth to unhappy power. Elijah was so kind of overwhelmed at times by this difficult task that he he ran. He ran because Queen Jezebel was threatening his life. And he ran and said to God, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. There's not much fun being a prophet in Israel at that time. It wasn't Elijah's time then for his life to be taken away. But now, where we arrive and pick up the story in 2 Kings 2, it is time. Chapter 2, verse 1, tells us that the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind unprecedented event. This is a strange, dramatic, unique way to go. So let's ask, what's this story all about? It begins with a build-up. You know, we know what will happen, we're told in the opening verse, but we don't know when it's going to happen. And as Elijah and Elisha, his disciple, travel about, Elijah tells Elisha to stay behind as he moves on. As he moves on from Gilgal, from Bethel, and from Jericho. But Elisha won't obey. He treats Elijah's instructions as if they're a kind of test of loyalty. And he says, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And the company of the prophets in each place that they go add to this tension, this build-up. For Elijah and Elisha are not the only prophets in Israel, and prophets have their disciples and supporters, and it seems that they gathered in bands in different towns. And so in verse 3, we read that the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. I mean, perhaps Elisha means, shh, we shouldn't talk about it. Perhaps he means, it's too sad. I don't want to talk about it. How they all know what's going to happen is never explained. But finally, the moment comes. And in a deed of miraculous power, Elijah uses his cloak, his mantle, to cross the Jordan to the far side. And at that time, he invites Elisha to seek a parting gift from him. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. 
You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise it will not. Now the firstborn inherited a double portion, we read in Deuteronomy 21. And so Elisha wishes to inherit the task and the power of Elijah as if he were Elijah's firstborn son. Elijah leaves this request up in the air. We don't know how it's going to turn out as he himself is taken up in the air. Verse 11, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Now, I take it that what happens to Elijah here is somehow a sign, a prophetic sign. A sign of what human destiny can be. That is, not the decay of the grave, but rather an ascent to God that escapes death. And I suggest that this sign is fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is taken away from his disciples. He's not cut off from them by a chariot of fire and horses of fire, but he is still cut off from them by the spears and swords of soldiers and then by death itself and the tomb. Jesus is also, though, taken up to heaven, taken up to heaven in the sight of his disciples, having been raised to life after his sudden and appalling death. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 49, Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, that is the image of the humanity of Adam and Eve, so, writes Paul, shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, that is Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, who met his disciples on the shore with the bread and fish. And I wonder if we see in the ascent of Elijah a vision of the exaltation which all believers will share in. Whatever this means, this strange mode of departure of Elijah, Elijah, Elisha is quickly alone and distressed. My father, my father, he cries, for his mentor, his teacher, his patron is gone. The chariot and horsemen of Israel, he cries, for the spiritual power protecting the nation is gone. And will his place be fulfilled, be filled? Elisha tests to see if he has been given the gift of a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He picks up Elijah's cloak, goes back and stands on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord? The God of Elijah, he asks. The question is, has Elijah's, sorry, has Elisha's last request been granted? And the answer is yes. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now, Elisha is sure that Elijah's gone, but the company of the prophets feels compelled to search. 
even if only for his body. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. Elisha is worn down by their determination to search, but of course the search is fruitless. When they return to Elisha, who is staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? So there's the story. What could all this possibly mean to us? Well, Elijah, together with Moses, is one of the model prophets, the kind of top-tier, premier, archetypal prophets of the Old Testament. And both Moses and Elijah anticipate the true prophet, Jesus Christ, who is greater than all the others, for he doesn't just receive and pass on the word of God. He is the word of God made flesh. And Jesus does, has, hasn't simply a portion of God's spirit. He has the spirit without limit, we read in John. And if that is uh, who Elijah foreshadows, the true prophet Jesus... Elisha is a model disciple. And so the way he followed his master, Elijah, might instruct us in how we should follow our master, Jesus. At the moment of their parting, Elijah asks Elisha what he wants. And what Elisha wants is to share Elijah's spirit, to become like Elijah, to be animated by the same power, to take on the same tasks, to belong to Elijah, to be bound together in that shared spirit. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. That's Elisha's desire, the desire of his heart, as Elijah offers him one last gift. So we might ask, well, what what do we want from Jesus? If Jesus asked us, what can I do for you, what would you say? Jesus has many gifts to give, and there are many right answers to that question. In his earthly ministry, he gave healing to the sick, sight to the blind, bread to the hungry, life to the dead. But his parting gift, his most powerful and transformative gift, is the gift of his spirit. The risen Jesus appeared to his disciples and said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And the disciples then follow on in the prophetic work of Jesus. They speak God's word, the gospel, to his world. It's a word of blessing. It's a word of warning. Now, can I suggest that we might take a leaf out of Elisha's book, that we might seek to live our lives in the spirit of our master, Jesus, and to ask him to give us our portion of that spirit, the spirit whose fruit in our lives will be, according to Paul, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That 
spirit is the spirit we seek to receive from our master and to live by. Not so long ago at St Edmund's we worked through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And there we read in in verse 7 of chapter 12, Now to each one, to each believer, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You and I might not be like Elijah and Elisha, exactly roaming around doing miracles and rebuking kings. However, the same Spirit is given to all who trust in Christ. And the power of the Spirit manifests in our lives to serve the common good. Firstly, the good of God's people, but then of the world. We shouldn't neglect this gift. Paul tells Timothy, his protege, to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. So let's not be passive and inert Christians. Elisha was keen keen for a double portion of his master's spirit. It is never too late for us to fan God's gift into flame by seeking from him the portion of his spirit and that it might be activated in us. Maybe intentional habits of prayer, of service, of deepening reflection on God's word can help you to fan into flame the gift of God's spirit that is within you if you trust in Christ. Fan that gift into flame. How about I finish by leading us in prayer that we might do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, let us inherit even a double portion of your spirit. And show us how we can walk by that spirit and his power today. Fan your gift into flame in our lives. And may your spirit teach us today how to speak, what to do, who to admonish, who to bless and how. Lord, may we take up where Jesus left off in some ways and speak your word to your world by the power of your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.